From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Co-founder relationships are already tricky. Anyone who has ever been a co-founder will know that very well. But here's an interesting destabilizing factor. What if one of the co-founders is just much better well-known than the rest? Is the person who gets all the attention, all the accolades, whose name is the one associated with the brand? I mean, I think a part of it for, with, with me being the face of the company, really, uh, and, and the name that is almost synonymous with the name of the brand. That brand is Smart Passive Income, which started as a blog by Pat Flynn, who you just heard there and has since expanded into a gigantic community and produces a ton of media and all sorts of other stuff. Incredibly successful. But Pat is not alone here. Pat has a co-founder. His name is Matt Gartland. And recently he became CEO. A lot of it. I know for Matt has to do with credit and having an understanding that I know that this wouldn't have happened without him and the team behind it. And I think it's not just for Matt, it's the rest of the team. And and we've been trying to work really, really hard inside of our company just as a whole to do better with recognition. And of course, here we are talking about how one co-founder tends to get more attention than the other. And we're now talking about Matt, but we haven't heard from Matt yet. So here's Matt. We didn't want to rush it. So it was actually, Jason, just not one conversation. It was several. We have an executive coach as well. All right, but let's back up here because I didn't actually sit down with Pat and Matt just to talk about this one particular issue about one co-founder getting more attention than the other, but really about the larger issue of how to have a very functional, healthy, productive co-founder relationship because it is not easy. And these guys have a lot of experience doing it both with each other and with others. And it seems to me, at least in the conversation that I have with them and the way in which they have built and are continuing to build smart passive income, that they have really figured something out for themselves. They're incredibly thoughtful about it. They're strategic about it. And they are, well, open books about how to do it. I really enjoyed my conversation with these guys. And that is what I'm going to play for you today. It is Pat and Matt of Smart Passive Income talking about how to have great co-founder relationships and also how to navigate when there feels like some kind of imbalance, at least in who's getting the credit and how to fix that. All coming up after the break. This episode of Problem Solvers is being presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you are all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know that you are not alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash small business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back. And let's just take it from the top with Pat and Matt from Smart Passive Income. Matt and Pat, you seem to have a very good relationship. At the very least, you are building a thriving company together. And so I'm going to just assume you do. But very interestingly, you come at this relationship in 
different ways. Matt, you have had a lot of co-founders and you have a lot of good and bad experiences to share. Pat, you started as a solopreneur and had to make this decision to partner with somebody. And that's a really challenging decision to make. Now, I have talked to I mean, countless entrepreneurs. I don't know at my time at Entrepreneur Magazine. And one of the greatest challenges that anybody ever faces is who do they work with? And are those people additive or are they ultimately going to drag you down? Mm-hmm. Are they going to create an anchor? And I think let's have a really open conversation about, well, what have the two of you learned through your partnership, but also partnerships with others? And what advice can you offer people who might be either wondering, should I work with this person in the most intimate of possible business ways? Or if I'm not in a good relationship, what do I do next? So Matt, let's start with you because you have, you you told me you've had how many co-founders across your businesses? At least seven, if we add them all up. Uh, Okay. And that might sound, I don't know, wild, like impossible or crazy or something on that spectrum. But I think for a lot of us that endeavor to leave a mark on the world and help people and, you know, through through our own thing, right? Our our own entrepreneurial pursuit, at least for me, as maybe something of a romantic, like I, I believe, and I still believe, and I hope Pat will echo me here, but this notion of being bigger than yourself and trying to complement what you have to offer with others that can fill gaps and and complement you, right? Is this notion that continues to drive me and continually has led me to pursuing a range of different business partnerships, you know, in the past. Some have worked magnificently well and some have just completely flopped. And but it keeps me going, this this vision, this this kind of North Star that you know when you can find the right person and then build the right team around you, man, that's really where I I think a lot of us entrepreneurs pursue that magic, uh, uh, the impact that we want to make through our work. Pat, I want to ask you in a second what you saw to make you feel confident that the relationship with Matt was going to work. But first, Matt, (laughs) so you had seven co-founder relationships. Some went great. Some did not. I'm curious if there was a pattern that you saw. Did all the bad ones happen at the beginning and then you learned more and then they got better as you as you went? Or is it is it hard to predict these things? There are definitely patterns and looking back at it, you know, this is a book that I want to write or even co-write with Pat someday because uh, I do believe it's an under like represented topic, like in this broader notion of talking about side hustles and becoming an entrepreneur and, and how to do this, whether it's a SaaS company or you know a creator economy based company or you know any version of like probably an online venture, right? There's a lot of of muck. There's a lot of interesting wrinkles and nuance to how you make a really strong partnership, whether that's like a two-person or even a three-person partnership work. And and when I mentioned seven uh, or potentially more, that includes ventures that barely got off the launch pad and things that, you know, looking back, it's like, good, I'm glad that we decided to stop that one early because we weren't weren't going in a good trajectory for some reason. And not even just even co-founders. I have been asked to come into companies post-launch as a notable partner. So technically not kind of getting co-founder status, so to speak, but come in, save a company, transform a company, really try to move it forward. So I'm mean, kind of including those experiences as well. But it kind of comes down to, yeah, patterns and kind of common denominators, which is who really has a, a vision for a company? If we want to use the paradigm of like visionaries and integrators, and, and, and how do we assess you know, how we join forces with you know, what the vision is and what the direction for a company is, and then being able to build that out with operations, with financial models, right, with products and support mechanisms, and build the apparatus of a business, you know, uh, around a vision. You know, that's one predominant example that 
comes from Gina Wickman's work in rocket fuel. You know, that's one notable example. And there are others that maybe we can get into. Yeah. Pat, so you were a solopreneur. You made this decision to create a partnership. And I wonder, one, what scared you about that? And then two, what you saw in Matt in particular that helped you get over that fear? Well, for a little bit of background, I started my business in 2008 and I was by myself doing everything on my own till 2013. And it was only then that I started to even allow like contractors to start helping me with things because I was so prideful about the fact that I was doing it on my own. I mean, I think there was a sense of um, because I had gotten laid off from my architecture industry that I had to step up and show the world, show my boss who let me go that I could do this on my own. And I maybe didn't even need them. Right. Kind of maybe an anger sort of response to what had happened in 08 to me. But eventually there came a point where I knew that I was either going to burn out if I just kept going the way I was going to go or just growth would become stagnant if I had just kind of stayed the same. So this is when I knew I needed I needed some outside help. And um, as my good buddy Chris Ducker teaches in his book, Virtual Freedom, he teaches like, well, you got to offload certain things, not everything, but certain things that are going to help you grow and scale. And so I offloaded a lot of the stuff like editing of my podcast and publish publications on my blog and a lot of the more day-to-day type stuff to Matt's company. Matt had a company called Winning Edits, which was an agency that worked with me and several other creators in the creator space. And it was just such a joy, except I knew that it could only go so far with them in that capacity, right? They had other clients. I only was able to get so much out of them in order to grow to where I wanted to go. And I had a lot of big plans and I wanted to grow much bigger. And over the years, I mean, we were, Matt and I worked together in that capacity for years, I felt like that was like us dating, like getting to know each other. And what ended up happening was in addition to Matt and his team just doing really excellent work for me, uh, Matt and I got to really get to know each other. And we share a lot of the same values and we had a lot of the same goals. It's sort of like when you're dating, you're trying to find that person who wants to live the life down the road with you and who, who, who wants to have kids with you and have the same kind of values. And I found that in Matt. So, you know, the dating started to get a little bit more serious and we started to have these <laughs> conversations. And eventually, you know, I got down on one knee, you know, I'm just kidding. Eventually got to the point where we were talking, we're like, wow, what, what if we like join forces? What if, what if we did this together? And maybe I acquire winning edits or you come over to my team and we start building a team here. And, you know, one thing led to another. And here we are now with this amazing company. And, you know, over time, I've stepped down from the CEO role of that company to have Matt come in and help really build the team in a way that I just could not do it on my own. So how did I know that Matt was the right person? Because I found out through a lot of instances of what it would be like to work on projects together and and how we handled disagreements together, like all that stuff. The communication was understood ahead of time before we ended up actually partnering together on something in a more serious manner. I interviewed Maria Sharapova a while ago And she said the super interesting thing to me, which was that when she was looking for people to work with, I think, you know, coaches, partners, that she wanted to find people that she could lose with. The idea being Mm. that if you found people who were really good to lose with, they'd be great to win with too. But what's more, it's easy to find Mm -hmm. people to win with. So what's more important is how do people support you and handle the harder times? And I, I say that because one of the things that you just said there is that you had learned before cementing this relationship, what it was like to navigate disagreements between the two of you. I'm curious to hear from both of you about what you learned in those in those times. And then once you created a co-founder relationship, how you made sure that the disagreements among you were handled in a way that was not just constructive, but ultimately would lead to really great ideas that you both could 
get buy-in on. I think the the keyword, Matt, is empathy. I think that's one thing you and I both share for each other. It's understanding how the other person might feel in a certain situation and just bringing it to light and, and being upfront with it. That's the other thing. Whenever something comes across our desks that we know involves the other person or might upset, let's not let it brew. Let's bring it out there and let's have a meeting and let's talk about it in an, in an honest and safe space. And that's, that's the cool thing about the way Matt and I work. No matter what it is we're talking about, from the little minute detail in a newsletter to a huge big thing that might change the course of the company forever, we know that it's going to be a safe space and respect will be had. And that is the most important thing. And that, that allows me to be comfortable to share things. And I know Matt comfortable to, to share things as well, because we have this understanding of how it might not just affect the company, but how it affects us even emotionally, right? I, I, I now know how Matt responds to certain things and Matt knows the same for me. And we both know each other's families at this point and we're very close friends. And I know that can be dangerous in many cases for close friends to work together, but I think we are close friends as a result of this. Matt, I'm curious to hear your, your side of, of this and how we sort of come to agreements and, and handle these kinds of situations. I have massive plus one to empathy and also a massive plus one to the, the metaphor there around like finding a partner that you can lose with. I completely resonates because it's, it's a lot of, a lot of hard painstaking work to make pivots as past maybe talking about, you know, new ideas in a business, a new product that you want to build and, and launch a lot of uncertainty, a lot of doubt. And the entrepreneurial experience is just laden with that stuff. You know, it continues to be an emotional roller coaster. So to have someone that you can trust and have an empathetic relationship with the Pat's point starts to solve some of these things around just like being lonely, especially if you're a solopreneur for so long, right? And to have a shared experience with someone is, I don't know, it probably gets into like the bigger uh, notions of life than even just business, right? Uh, and, and what all this actually means in the end. So I think all those are, are tremendously true. You know, as we navigate this, like th there's a phrase even from like your spouse or significant other, which is like, you have to learn how to fight. And not that like Pat and I fight, right? Like it's not, not that, but I think at least in my interpretation of, you know, what Pat said there and, and whatnot is, like being quick, right? Like if there's something that feels wrong or like I'm reading Pat's energy in a meeting, he doesn't feel like himself, like I'll go to him privately, I'll slack him or I'll just call him after the meeting directly and be like, hey man, like this didn't feel like you today. Like are you doing okay? And then maybe Pat opens up or vice versa. And he calls me, right? Is is getting that stuff, I forget the, the word or phrase Pat you just used, but like inoculating that quickly, like kind of getting it out of that system, flushing the system on those things is a really important thing. Like so learning how to fight as like a skill avoids this bigger notion that you referenced in the lead around like founder fallout, which is not my term or our term that's an established concept from, of course, someone whose name I'm forgetting right now. But you want to avoid these things where there's you know repressed thoughts and feelings where you know there's increasingly like ego upon ego of like who gets the limelight, who is getting the credit and all these sort of kind of toxic ideas. Mm -hmm. If you can center yourself in empathy and, and have space to kind of fight quickly when you need to, so to speak, right? That is so beneficial. Oh, there's so many things that I want to follow up on there. Yeah, um, sorry. We talked a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. That was great. Okay. I'm going to say two things that I wanted to follow up on so that we get to both because otherwise I'll totally forget. So number one was, I'm really curious about what you think the underlying code is that allows for this, because what you're saying makes a lot of sense. You need empathy. You need that, that, that human understanding. You need to make sure that the two of you are really attuned to each other. And I, and, and what I'm, I'm curious for your philosophies are on is whether that's just simply baked in. It's just that the two of you connect, or if that's something that you can, you can consciously build with people. You know, it's interesting because Matt, clearly you are able to do that really well with Pat, which means that you have an innate ability to do that. But you know, 
some of your co-founder relationships didn't work out. So then maybe it's not just this person, but it's something the two of you had had done. So I'm curious what you think the underlying code is. And then the second thing is you had talked about how to you know navigating sometimes a, a feeling of of imbalance or you know who gets credit for what. And that's particularly interesting in your business because Pat is of course so public facing and forward facing. And if you know if people if people know a name, it, it might be Pat's. And so I'm you know I'm really curious how the two of you feel about that. So why do we take them in reverse order, which is to say, um, let, let's talk about the the kind of attention and, and and balance one first, and how you guys navigate that together. Yeah, I mean, I think a part of it for, with, with me being the face of the company, really, uh, and and the name that is almost synonymous with the name of the brand, a lot of it I know for Matt has to do with credit and having an understanding that I know that this wouldn't have happened without him and the team behind it. And I think it's not just for Matt, it's the rest of the team. And, and we've been trying to work really, really hard inside of our company just as a whole to do better with recognition. Mm. That is something that comes with the territory of being on the YouTube channel, being on the podcast. But when you're behind the scenes, you often don't get any recognition. So it's important for me as sort of the person who's on camera, if you will, to often recognize, yes, privately and commend everybody on the job well done, but also publicly. I think that's really important. And Matt has definitely stepped up to express that he does want to be a little bit more in the spotlight as well and has been very clear. Like, I'm not trying to replace you. I don't even want to be like to the same level as you. I just want to be on the podcast every once in a while. And then here we are now doing like podcasts together. Right. And and it's just, I don't know if it was always that way, but I remember a point in time where Matt came to me. And he's like, you know what? I think I want to show up a little bit more. Uh, I, he used to have a podcast in another uh, niche. And then, um, you know, I think he's got so much to offer so then I have to go, okay, well, how can we make this work? And, and let's talk about it, right? So I think, I think that's definitely important, the, the recognition and the credit and the understanding. But I also know Matt definitely does do a lot more in the backside of the business and a lot of the integration, uh, integration type stuff. So it is this dichotomy that Matt was talking about earlier, the visionary integrated role. But Matt also is a visionary, which is the cool part. And he has so much to offer in that regard. Matt, I'd love to hear your perspective on how you deal with a Pat Flynn, if, uh, essentially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a way of saying it. It's, I honestly think that to be overly like sappy here, uh, like a little bit rare what Pat and I have figured out. There are patterns that are codes will come to that, that next prompt. We, Pat and I just have so many reps at this now, you know, uh, each other. And, and one important, I think, thing that we come back to frequently is understanding each other's core motivations. Uh, and the word motivations is actually really deliberate here. There's a lot of good stuff out there around personalities, around the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs and these things. And these things are really beneficial. And I've been studying this stuff, what feels like most of my career, even going back into my, my leadership days uh, inside of an enterprise company. And I brought that into most of the startups uh, that I've been a part of, including now you know, at SPI. So I know Pat's Enneagram. I know mine. Like We know the teams. We do that work. We don't treat that as gospel. It's data. And we nerd out over that. But there's almost an anti-personality assessment from my good friend, Todd Henry. At least he wrote the book on it. He's worked with a lot of data scientists on it called The Motivation Code. And so we took that assessment as a team and it really helped identify or at least clarify. Like for Pat, you know, recognition is one of your top two predominant motivations, right? I need that to manifest in a different way. And it doesn't register at that threshold. My top motivation is high achievement. And that speaks to me being a straight A student and all these other things that kind of, when you look backwards, like, like, oh yeah, of course, right? So when we think about business and business performance, when we think about the growth of our team and watching them grow and succeed, like these are the things that give me that insane motivation that I need, right? And that I crave. So being able to sit in that space, which is different than talking about just personalities or job descriptions and titles and who does what. It's like, cool, we, Pat and I can align and be like, cool, I can support 
the needs that you have to satisfy your motivations. And now Pat can support mine. And we can do that in a way that is, albeit a cliche, which is that the sum is greater uh, than the totality of its parts. Follow up before I get to my other question that I had already said, which is, I'm so curious. Okay, so you guys just alluded to what I'm sure is not a singular moment, but a kind of evolving moment where Matt is saying, you know, I'd like some more public recognition for this. Can you, can you, because I, I think that that's a very relatable moment for, for a lot, you know, for a lot of people, you know, and any company is going to have generally somebody who, who ends up being deemed the face of it. And I bet that everybody else that Matt, you make a really wonderful point about you understanding what it is that drives you and where recognition, public recognition is on the, on the, 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 the hierarchy for you, but it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's somewhere for everybody. And so can you tell me, can you take me into like what literally that conversation was like or the first time that it happened? Matt, did you spend a while thinking about it or recognizing in yourself that, hey, I, you know, I think that I would actually like to be a little more public facing. Um, and then and then how long did it take you to actually go talk to Pat about that? And then what was that like? Yeah, a couple of thoughts. And then, of course, Pat should weigh in. There's always a certain amount of perseverating, you know, when it comes to like, oh, this could be a little bit of a tricky conversation, right? Or touchy or something. And and at least I start there probably like a lot of us because at the end of the day, we're humans and I care about my good friend and I, I don't want him to perceive what I'm saying with like the wrong intention. So like you spend a lot of time, or at least maybe I do in my head, like just trying to get it right uh, with certain word choice. And honestly, with this point, I even just think back to the, the end of last year, the beginning of this year, we did officially pass the baton as Pat referenced earlier of like the CEO title, right? So I've taken that on and just kind of sitting in that space with Pat because for a lot of folks, especially folks that might be just to call it what it is, like a little more on the ego side of like, man, so much of their identity, right, is rooted in them being the CEO of this thing, right? And, and then there's sort of like this white knuckle, you know, reaction to like that title and, and that that thing. Pat did not react that way, to be clear, but like we we still like I had deep respect for him and what he had done, you know, in that capacity earlier on in the business's life. That we just wanted to walk it, right? We didn't want to rush it. So it was actually, Jason, just not one conversation. It was several. Uh, we have an executive coach as well. We process a lot of this through what would be formally called a succession plan. You know, I know that's like a big enterprise idea, but like I brought that into the frame. That was a constructive thing. It kind of helped level set the emotions, be more logical, not that the emotions were high, but just like making these small but deliberate decisions along the way, not rushing it, building into it, having a third party, a neutral third party. You stack all these little decisions together, made it a very natural and I think very effective, at least from where I sit, you know, experience. But Pat, you know, should weigh in yeah. as well. You know, and it never felt like you were selling anything to me, right? Like you were trying to pitch anything. It was just like, here is what we feel makes sense for the company and where we both know we want to go. And it totally made sense to me to have you come on to be a little bit more prominent in the brand so people know who you are because also we knew that we were going to potentially put you into the CEO role as well. So, I mean, all those reasons kind of, again, for the benefit of the company made sense. And to quote you, Jason, from an earlier conversation we had, it's like, okay, what is this for? This decision, what is it for? And it all made sense for the goals that we both have together and the goals for the company to to move forward in, in these directions. So, yeah, it was it was never... An awkward thing. I mean, I can imagine other companies getting to that point where, you know, somebody who's working so hard in the back, who's getting no recognition, wants to be more in the forefront, maybe even pitch themselves to be sort of a co-host to a podcast versus just the solo entrepreneur uh, who's at the forefront. And then that might lead to some interesting conversations. And again, as long as the communication lines have been set up front 
and there's an understanding and there's empathy, then I think that good decisions could be made, even if it's not like the right thing. I think I think Matt uh, brought to the company at one point this really good thing. We he, we often when we get together as a team, we have like these rules that are set up front to have the most maximum benefit of our time together. One of those rules is like, let's not just agree to disagree. Matt, I think that's a very important point that would make that's a, very valuable for the listeners here today. M- might you expand on that? Because that was pretty revolutionary for me because I've always heard that. Like, okay, let's just agree to disagree and move on. But no, that's maybe not the right way to go. The opposite headspace and model is to disagree and commit, which is not my phrasing. Uh, I want to say Jeff Bezos gets credit for it. Not that I'll be honest to say that I'm his biggest fan, but it's around like passiveness and like the agree to disagree is like, okay, passive aggressive, maybe a little bit, maybe I'm secretly rooting for you to fail so that I can be like, Hey, I told you so, right. You know, somewhere down the right. And, and ultimately like, that is not a healthy construct with which to communicate with which to navigate a relationship, especially one of such consequences. We have nine employees and their families to think about, right. Like, like as, as business owners, like you, you can't do that. At least that's my strong opinion. So th- this opposite notion of disagreeing and committing is saying like, Hey, I want to hold space and I want to hear other opinions. Like I want to engage in this in this intellectual exercise around here's this problem that we're trying to solve for the business, trying to grow in a new way or launch a new product or do something. And I don't want to just sit in a vacuum in my own head and make my own choice. So Pat, Jillian, Sarah Jane, Mandy, like bring the team together. And I may not agree with you. I want to be able to disagree with that. And then whomever is ultimately the decision maker, and that is a different paradigm, like I can support your authority to make this decision. And even if I don't agree with you, I will state my disagreement because I, I need the safety to be able to say that, that creates a healthy relationship. And yet I will still be committed to your success. I will commit to doing what I can in my power, in my role to make you successful. We're going to take a short break and then come back with more with Matt and Pat. Did you know that the average podcast listener has six shows in rotation? So, hey, when you're not listening to Problem Solvers, I have the perfect show to add to your rotation. It is the Jordan Harbinger Show. And I know you'll love it because Jordan is an ideas guy, a curiosity guy. He dives into the minds of fascinating people from the smartest CEOs and entrepreneurs to athletes, authors, scientists, mobsters, and even spies, because all of them have something you can learn from. Jordan gets his guests to share never-before-heard stories, thought-provoking insights, and tactical bits of wisdom, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, better problem solver. And every Friday, he does a segment called Feedback Friday, where he covers advice on absolutely everything from escaping a cult to asking for a raise. Now, full disclosure, Jordan is a friend of mine, but he's one of those friends I just keep learning stuff from. Listen to an episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show, and you'll understand why I am so happy to tell you about this. Or hell, listen to the episode I was on recently because we had a lot of fun. You can't go wrong with adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting and there's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That is H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we're back. Let's pick up where we left off with Matt and Pat talking about how to manage disagreements by not agreeing to disagree. That's a more challenging thing to do, isn't it, than to agree? I mean, agree to disagree is is equivalent of, ah, let's drop it, right. which, which is super easy. I imagine that the hardest part of disagree and commit is probably to be on the receiving end of the disagree to commit, which is to say that if, if, if I'm the person who is working with someone and they disagree with me, but they say, you know what, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. I might imagine that, you know, they're going to do it with a grudge or they're going to commit 
as much as they can. But I know me, and I know that if I disagreed, I would only be able to commit so much. So I guess, what is the tie that binds there? Is it just the the trust that has been built over time where you know that if someone disagrees and commits that they really will, and you just, you know, you, you do it enough that you take somebody at their word and, and you, you've seen their actions enough that you know that the both of you can get to a place where you are going through with something for the other person, even though you disagree, and that it doesn't change the degree to which you will commit to making it a success? My thought there, uh, I'll go first. I think might even answer, Jason, the other question that you had teed up that we hadn't come back around to. Oh, um, yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I was going to say later that I think that we basically already answered that question right. because it's, it's, in, it's in all the systems that you guys have developed and, and, and the ways in which this isn't just a one-on-one relationship, but there's been so much yeah. more. But anyway, yeah, so keep going. My answer there is to play for high stakes. The answer is high stakes. What keeps like me in it, especially when it gets hard or like when you know I'm talking with Pat and debating the future of the company and the direction it should go and how we need to like fundamentally change a lot of the business model, which is a practical example if you want to sit in that we could come back to. But it's we're playing for high stakes. Like Pat's one of my closest friends. Like that is high stakes for me. And and I feel confident that he'd probably register similarly. I don't want to lose his friendship. Uh high stakes in the people that not only that we care for by way of our team, but that we serve in terms of our audience. If we screw this up, right? And we experience founder fallout and this just goes kaboom, right? And business collapses or, you know, all of these things that like you can think about death spirals of companies, these things are actually unfortunately rather common. Then, oh my gosh, all of these people, hundreds of thousands of people that subscribe to SPI that rely on Pat's podcast for help and advice and guidance and inspiration, like, oh my God, what have we just done? Right. Mm. So I think there's a really galvanizing force and thinking of like persevering in hard times and, and low moments is when you can remain committed to this sense like there are high stakes here and, and that's exciting. And I'm committed to the, that high stakes and we are committed together to those mm-hmm. high stakes that can keep you there and helps you through those low moments. Yeah, from my perspective, it's it's we we win together, we lose together, but together for sure. If we're not able to support each other, then no matter what we do, it's not it's not going to work. The relationship component of this is important. I akin it to a loved one or uh, one of my kids or even my wife. Maybe they want to do something that I don't necessarily agree with. For example, I mean, there's obviously health and safety, so we're not going to that drugs or whatever. But I'm like, if my kid wants to play football, but I'm like, dude, you're kind of small and you'll probably get killed out there. But he really wants it. He want, He's very passionate about it. You know what? I disagree with that choice, but I'm going to support you. I'm going to go to every game. I'm going to, I'm going to get like help you out with the plays. And then not only that, I'm going to look up strategies for small players who play football and to see what is actually your advantage now at this point. So that sure, maybe it's not the choice I would have made, but because you've made it, I'm going to help make sure it's the right, it, it was the right choice. And that's just an understanding that you have as like a family and our team is like a family and our audience is family. So I think for those reasons, it makes sense to, even though it might not be a direction you want to go, somebody is responsible for that. And that is what they want to do or what they're passionate about. All right, I'm going to be there to support them because I know that when it comes time for me to make a decision that maybe they disagree upon, well, they're going to support me the same way. And you know, what's so great is that sometimes you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You disagree with something and it turns out you're wrong. I mean, as you were, as you were talking, Pat, I was just thinking about all the times at Entrepreneur where I have said, that is not going to work, but we'll do it anyway. And then it works great. Mm. 
that's just happened enough times that I try to catch myself when I say something's not going to work. Um, and I, and I, it makes me wonder if you guys could share, maybe, maybe just put some specifics to some of these big, valuable abstractions that we've been talking about. Can you each share a, a time in which you were wrong and the other one was right? That's a great prompt. I wish I had a like <laughs> locked in answer there. Stumbling a little bit. My gosh. I think a lot about here, Pat's orientation to how our end customer is going to experience a certain message, a certain positioning. I can still, even today, again, so okay, make mistakes on like a businessy point of view. Like, okay, like if we position something this way, or like here's this probably overly cerebral way of processing a strategy or marketing of a certain thing. And Pat's like, no, it's not going to connect or connect as well. Like I think we can make this better. Uh, we need we need to adjust adjust you know the language you know that we are using to try to connect you know with these early stage entrepreneurs, which is typically our, our target market, right? Uh, that are looking to move online. So I have made mistakes certainly in that capacity, and more than once. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of examples for sure. I'm trying to go through the file cabinet. I mean, the more recent one was our newsletter. So the Unstuck newsletter. I had forever been a, a, a huge proponent of newsletters only work when you have something to offer on the front end, like a lead magnet or something like that. And I didn't even really believe a newsletter would make sense for us in the sort of traditional terms of a newsletter, right? It has to be very specific about a specific problem, right? Or a challenge that a person might have so that... And I just didn't believe that an email would work for us, an email newsletter. But uh, not just Matt, but the entire team was basically against me on that. And at first it feels like, well, hey, aren't you guys seeing this from my point? I'm I'm like the face of the company. I also am the closest to our audience. And most of them don't wake up in the morning and look forward to reading a newsletter from somebody. I mean, our in inboxes are already so full. And I had all these cases and I had all these like arguments against like putting this effort in. And the reason why I was so strong about this is because I was going to be the one writing the newsletter. And I was like, this is not going to work. But the team came to me with a lot of examples of ones that did work that were outside of my realm of knowledge, right? Um, from examples like, and I didn't subscribe to this before, but I do now, Morning Brew, for example. Now I wake up every morning and read Morning Brew because it gives me something that I would have gotten otherwise. And the challenge was, Pat, okay, I we hear you, we empathize with you, but we disagree. How might you, here's a challenge, design thinking challenge, how might you actually create a newsletter? How could you write in a way such that your audience would not think anything else but to open that email as soon as it came in their inbox. And I was like, okay, that's a really good challenge. Let me write a couple, let, let me see if I could do it. Because if I can't do it, then I'm not going to do it. And of course, I was able to, to write some of the best stuff that, I was ever, that I've ever written because it's in the confines of an email that needs to be terse and concise and such. And now our newsletter is, is performing very, very well. It's some of the most open new emails that we send out. And more than that, we've just gotten the most incredible feedback from it. So that, that was just a clear, very project-specific example of a disagreement where even me as the face of the company and founder, the entire team disagreed. And you know, there were moments where I was like, man, I wouldn't have to have these arguments if it was just me, right? Like I could just make this decision. But knowing that the team was there and that they're also looking out for the same people I'm looking out for allowed me to see it from a different angle. And as I often say, you can't read the label when you're inside the bottle. This is why it's so important to have these team members who are also not afraid. I mean, down even to the like Matt and, and Jillian and some of the other directors for sure. But e like even some of our just writers and uh, content creators, them getting behind it too meant like, okay, like this makes sense. Let me, let me, let me try it out and give it a shot because I believe in what you're saying. So I will do it. And me being the one to write those emails, I knew 
I'd have to give it a chance in order to honor them and their disagreement and, and their thoughts about what would be most beneficial to the audience. I'm glad I asked that question. We only have a few minutes left together. So let me ask you, for folks who are listening to this and are seeing their own experience in what you're talking about, either because they are, let's say, a solopreneur and they're thinking about partnering with somebody, or, or frankly, they haven't started a company at all, but they're thinking about partnering with somebody, or they, they have a partnership and maybe it's it's not working as well as they'd like it to, but they feel like there's there's hope yet. Can you offer both of you maybe one thing that they should be thinking now, one thing they should be doing now, just somewhere to start in either exploring what the right partnership is or exploring how to fix a partnership that maybe mm. isn't as good as the one you're describing today? Is this, Matt, do you mind if I go first? Please. So there was an exercise that I learned from uh, Jay Papasan, who's the author of The One Thing. Him and Gary Keller wrote that book, and it's incredible. And in an interview I did with Jay, he talked about this exercise called the airport test. And I loved this so much that I incorporated it into one of my own books with uh, with credit to him. Um, they use this when they are finding employees for their company, this, this airport test. And I would imagine that it would be just as useful in the context of finding a partner. And the way that it works is it's a thought experiment. You fast forward, you go into the DeLorean five years from now and you're at the airport and you're at this airport and a person comes up to you and it's a friend that you haven't seen in a very long time while you're waiting for your flight. And you both happen to have some time. So you go and get a coffee or, or have a drink at the bar or something while you're waiting for your flights. And this person asks you five years from now, again, how are you doing? How is life? And you respond with, things are freaking amazing. They, they couldn't get any better. I'm exactly where I want to be right now. And what Jay and Gary do with their employees is they say, okay, take this piece of paper, fold it into to four quadrants and title each quadrant with an area of your life that is very important to you. Maybe family might be one quadrant, finances, health, whatever it might be. And in each of those quadrants, write down a bullet point of something that supports you saying life is awesome under that category five years from now. This isn't a wish list. This is you into the into the future five years from now. That becomes your guiding light for where you want to go and the decision, decisions that you make now. And doing that exercise can allow you to understand whether or not a potential partner that you have in your life, whether it is a spouse type partner or a business partner, to make sure that you're in alignment. Because I think the most important thing here is that you have to have a similar vision for where you want a, the company to go. And I think that's really key. If one person on, on the extreme, for example, knows that they want to exit in three years and another person's like, no, this is going to be my life's work. I can't imagine selling it. Well, then already, you know, this is not going to work. So it's best to know these things up front. And that way you can make decisions now that aren't remorseful or don't hurt or don't feel like it was a bunch of time wasted, right? So in the context of Jay and Gary, when they hire somebody, they, they, they might see somebody. Actually, the story that Jay said was, you know, somebody wrote that they wanted to be a mayor of, of their town one day. And they saw that on this, this employee's uh, airport test and was like, well, we can't help you do that. This is not the path for you to be an employee of our company. We don't want you to not be an employee here because we don't like you. It's because we don't match. So mm. go out and go. Here's some recommendations for jobs that would make sense for you for that vision of you being the mayor. And I thought that was so amazing. So if you could do that now up front, you can align goals and understand each other, not just goals for the company as well, but life goals. I think when you, that, that's something that Matt and I both have a lot in similar is where we want to go in life and family and, and, and some of our goals for the future. Then we know we're in a good position to win. So that would be my recommendation, uh, the airport test and maybe comparing yours to a potential partner's. That was great. Matt? I know we're tight, but I'm going to 
cheat and try to get into uh, <laughs> one kind of small, one kind of big on the small, like communication is everything. It, it matters as the crux to, I think, any fruitful relationship. So what Pat do is we communicate frequently and we can, and we communicate in different modes. So uh, we have a, a weekly touch base like clockwork and we treat that with as much, you know, ritualistic quality as, as possible. Like that sacred time, we try never to miss that. Build into those rituals from a communication standpoint with your partner or your soon-to-be partner and don't stop because that's the safety net for when things start to go wrong is you have these things there ready for you to be able to communicate, you know, with the other person. And then, you know, the other quick dimension to the small point is change your change your mode. So when things are tough or you're not feeling great, don't Type it in a text message or go to Slack, like make a phone call or, or leave an audio message. Uh, some of the stuff even that we talked about previously around our succession planning, I would record Loom videos for Pat and communicate that way so that he could see my face and, and hear me try to nuance some things, right? And then Pat had an opportunity to engage that. We were still asynchronous where we needed to, to communicate that way. But again, like change the fidelity with which you're communicating in different moments to match the mood, the energy, the severity of the problem or whatever it is that you're dealing with, right? Don't only like rely on text message. The big one is like, it's worth it, even when it's hard. And even when a business partnership maybe falls apart. Again, I've had many. I had one that was traumatic in its ending for me. But I look back at it all with such gratitude. I've learned so much about myself and just renews that sort of romanticism that I have about what can be true when you kind of find your person and, and partner up and... Yeah, it was a little bit even serendipitous with that one traumatic example that I have that Pat knows well is in the not immediate aftermath of that happening, Pat and I decided like, you know what, you and I, we two together, this is going to work, right? That's when Pat got on his knee or, you know, <laughs> it was great. So just like, even when it's hard, like in, like with love, right? Not to get overly weird about it, but it's better to have loved than not loved at all. That's that's my view on business partnership. Pat, you're you're making a face. Just the 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 knee thing. I think people actually think I did that. Um, it was not on knee, although maybe Boyceman was playing in the background. I'm not sure. Could have been. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, we will leave the rest to everybody's imaginations. Yes. Pat and Matt, this was just tremendous, really insightful, and and I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jason. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.